Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Lent is a perfect time for us to cleanse our heart, our mind, and our soul so that we can draw closer to God. One of the ways that we do it, through penance services that your parishes are undergoing right now, or just by reading the gospel for this weekend. In the gospel, we hear the great story of Jesus cleansing the temple of the vendors and the money changers. Now, what we have to understand is we find this story in all four of the Gospels. This is pretty rare. It's pretty rare when you find the same story in all four of the Gospels. So this tells us, first and foremost, all four of the evangelists thought this story was very important to include in their Gospel. Now, there are some stories in Gospels that are omitted. For example, there are stories in Luke that you don't find in Mark or Matthew. And vice versa, there's stories in Matthew and Luke that you don't find in Mark. But this one story is found in all four. So this tells us from the very beginning, we've got to sit up and take notice of it, treat it with importance, just like the evangelists did. Now, scripture scholars believe that this event essentially sealed the fate of Jesus. Now the Jews had everything that they wanted. They had enough to charge Jesus with, convict him and execute him. What we have to realize, the temple is near and dear to every good Jew. It's the spiritual as well as the economic and political epicenter of the entire country of Israel. It's the center of Jewish life. And more importantly, it's where the Jews believe the presence of God presided. Well, now Jesus takes a whipping cord and starts beating people and turning over tables and, you know, driving out the animals and the other people. You know, it'd be equated if, you know, somebody went into St. Peter's Basilica in Rome and did the same thing, grabbed a stick and started beating people and chasing them out of the basilica. Our first impression upon hearing this, we'd be shocked. We would say, somebody get the guy, arrest him. He's insane. He's mad. Well, Jesus now threatens something that is very sacred to the Jews. And so, they have reason to arrest him. Notice also the little detail, what Jesus says. He tells the Israelites, stop making my father's house a marketplace. Well, that's blasphemy if you're a first century Jew. The first century Jew would have picked up on that right away. They would have said, well, if he declares God his father, then he must be God himself. Therefore, it's blasphemy. Well, now again, Jesus has sealed his fate. Now the Jews have enough evidence to bring charges against Jesus, to execute him. And so it begs the question, what set him off? Here, Jesus, this mild-mannered man who constantly preached love and forgiveness and reconciliation and charity for all, well, now he's so angry and mad, chasing people, you know, with a whip. What did it? 
Well, first and foremost, you know, these people are in the temple area selling things and profiting by it. The temple was essentially constructed and used for one purpose and one purpose only, to worship and praise God. More to it, I think what really incensed Jesus is exactly where these vendors set up their shops. Now, we don't hear it in the gospel, but if you do a little research, essentially where the vendors were was called the courtyard of the Gentiles. Now, it's important to know a little history about the temple. The temple was originally built by King Solomon. Now, when King Solomon was building this temple, essentially, he built it with the mindset of the prophet Isaiah, in which Isaiah said that the Jewish people, the Israelites, was going to be the nation, the beacon, you know, that gathered all of God's people back to God. And so, he built that temple for the express purpose of doing that. Both Jew and Gentile, Gentiles are non-Jews, could come into the temple, be welcomed there, and worship God. And see, King Solomon had a special place for the Gentiles. It was called this courtyard of the Gentiles. So, if you were a Gentile, a non-Jew, you could easily enter the temple area, go to this courtyard of the Gentiles, and begin worshiping and praising God. Well, Jesus walks in, and he sees these vendors, you know, setting up the shop in this courtyard. And so, any Gentile is now physically prevented from worshiping God. And this is what I think Jesus is so angry at. The temple is being misused. Now, take it to a deeper level for us. Paul writes in Romans, as well as 2 Corinthians, that our very bodies, our heart, is the temple of God, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we must take a long look at our temple, is it like that of the one in Jerusalem? Do we have distractions, maybe not vendors, but other, we could say, worldly allurements that are distracting us from offering proper praise and worship to God? It's important for us, now more than ever during this time of Lent, to allow the Lord to chase out all those distractions that we may have in our heart, in our temple, to allow Jesus to cleanse our hearts so that we can now offer proper praise and worship to God. You know, a good question and a challenging question we have to ask ourselves is if we surrender and allow Jesus to enter into our heart, our temple, what will he chase out? Now, this is a good lead into the first reading. In the first reading, we have God giving Moses the Ten Commandments to give to the Israelite people. Now, these Ten Commandments are not a burden. Yes, they are laws, but they are laws that help us to not only give right praise and worship to God, but also help us to treat other people that we come in contact with in this world and in our life. Now, the Ten Commandments are relevant, despite what people may say. Just a few days ago, I was watching the news and a politician came on. He claimed that he was Catholic, but then he made this statement that the Catholic Church needs to become more contemporary in order to be relevant again. Well, the, the presupposition is that the Catholic Church is no longer relevant. And then he added, he said, you know, things like the Ten Commandments, you know, those things are so old and archaic, nobody follows them anymore. They're irrelevant. 
well, there's a man that really knows the faith. Well, the Ten Commandments are relevant, very relevant, even in this day and age. Just take a great look at St. Ignatius of Loyola, who about 150 years ago or so established the Jesuit order. Now, what he did is he taught his Jesuit monks. He taught them to perform the examination of conscience right before they went to bed every night and to use the Ten Commandments to examine their conscience. Essentially, they were to go through the Ten Commandments and see where they cooperated with God's grace throughout the course of that given day and where they didn't. And then pray to God that the next day they would be able to do a better job cooperating with God's grace. So the Ten Commandments are relevant, more than ever, I would say, in this day and age. Now, the Ten Commandments can be broken down into two sections. The first section is the first three commandments. They deal with us in relationship with God. How can we maintain a right relationship or righteousness with God? And therefore, you could say that three commandments deal with the fundamental spiritual orientation of us to God. I would argue everyone in this world, everyone worships something or someone. We, we gather for Mass every weekend. You know, that's a great way in which we tell the entire world we worship God. And yet, some people in this world don't. They worship other things. Status, materialism, honor, power, whatever it is. You know, I've given you that quote just a few weeks ago of St. Augustine, in which he says, Show me what a culture or society worships, and I'll tell you the character of that culture. Well, every time we come to Mass on the weekend, it's the greatest way in which we proclaim to the world, God is first in our life. God is at the center of our life. Everything else, our work, our sports, our family, our neighbors, that all falls on the periphery, but in harmony with God. And see, therein lies the second set of the Ten Commandments, Commandments 4 through 10. They deal with how we are to relate with one another in this world. Now, if we truly love God, we must love the things that God loves. And what does God love? Us. He loves us, so we must be able to love one another. So, what we have to do is take the Ten Commandments and maybe look at them in a different light. Give you some examples. Take the Fourth Commandment. Honor your father and your mother. Well, another way to look at this is what's the quality of the relationship that you have with those people that are dearest to you? Yes, your mother and your father, but maybe brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, maybe neighbors or co-workers that you get along with. Now, if you ask any police officer, they'll tell you some of the worst violent crimes are domestic abuse, domestic violence, violence within a family or a household. You know, some of the worst grudges that people hold on to occur with other family members. Take the fifth commandment, thou shall not kill. Well, look at it in a different light. What's the quality that we enhance or bring life to other people? Now, we all have those people in our lives that when we're around them, they constantly are negative. They bring us down. They denigrate others. They disrespect people. And after a while, hanging around them, we say to ourselves, oh gosh, this is so life draining. They take the life right out of you. Well, do we promote the life or enhance the life of others? Take the seventh commandment, thou shalt not steal. 
Now, we've seen these corporate scandals stealing at a grand scale, but again, take it in a different light. St. Thomas Aquinas once said, if a person engages in gossip or rumor or innuendo, they have violated the seventh commandment because they have now taken the good name of that person they're talking about. And so, do we engage in rumors or gossiping? If we do, we are taking the good name of that person. So, we violate the seventh commandment. How about the ninth commandment? Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. Do we desire what other people have? Or do we see others always as rivals? We've got to keep up with them, you know, keeping up with the Joneses. Or do we really support one another? When someone has good fortune, are we really happy for them? Do we really congratulate them and stick up for them? See, Lent is a great time. There's only about a few more weeks left. We're halfway through it. Now is the time to allow Christ to cleanse our hearts. You know, use the Ten Commandments as a good examination of conscience. Surrender to Jesus. Allow him to come into our temples, into our heart, and chase out all those distractions that prevent us from, you know, gathering and coming closer to Christ. And in doing so, now we can take a few steps closer to Christ during this great season. And that's all that Christ ever wants from us. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.